0: If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Last week, as we looked in chapter 5, we looked at the first two verses, and what we were talking about was important for us to set up where we're going. Uh, what, What we were looking at was that we had to be imitators of God, and that's an interesting construction, you remember, because we're often told to be imitators of Christ, is what we think about, and a little bit easier for us to conceptualize because we think of Jesus Christ the man who came, God the man. But when we read this and we're told to be imitators of God, the father, it's important. And you remember that we looked right back at the end of chapter four to see that it was important for us to understand that what Paul's talking about here is saying that as Christians, those who have been called out important for us to understand that there's a forgiving nature of the father. And what the father has done through Christ is forgive us of our sins. And because we have that, we're now to be imitators of Christ. And you remember, we talked about this. You're never more like the father than when you're forgiving, you just aren't and it's difficult for us. It's important for us th- to do that though And so we talked about being Forgiving then we talked about what it meant to be dearly loved children now you'll remember this and and I don't mean to bring up your Past or my past but we don't understand what it means to be dearly loved children Until we really understand the depths of which we've come out of depravity and that god has loved us and redeemed us from that and Understanding who we were really informs who we are now and how How important that is for us to live as dearly loved children. And we learned that uh, living like Jesus and walking in love really meant that we're giving ourselves away. Jesus was a self-sacrificing offering to the Father that reconciled us to God the Father when we were far from him because of our sin. And so we're told to walk in love. And today as we continue chapter 5, he's going to make kind of a stark turn really quickly from that. We've been talking about imitate God, uh, walk in love like Jesus, and then he immediately begins by saying, but... Now, what we're gonna be dealing with is a little bit of a sensitive topic, and I hope that you'll understand that every time I preach about these things, I try to take great pains to never do anything that would be shocking or inappropriate as we talk about these things, but what we're going to be talking about is sexual immorality. And and I think that's important for us to know that. It's my desire to treat it faithfully and certainly not to be shocking in any way, but to deal with the the text faithfully in such a way that we receive from the Lord what he has to say for us about that this morning. Uh, Let's read this morning from Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 3, but... "...sexual immorality and impurity or greed should not even be heard among you, as is proper for the saints. Obscene and foolish talking or crude joking are not suitable, but rather giving thanks. For know and recognize this, every sexually immoral or impure or greedy person who is an idolater does not have an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ." And of God, He changes so quickly from talking about being imitators of God and walk in love and be self-sacrificing to say, but. And I want to say this is really important because Paul is talking to the church, and, and so this morning, as as we're dealing with this text, I am talking to people this morning who would say, we are called out and we are Christ followers. We're not talking about the world. We're not talking about what the government ought to do. We're not talking about society. We're talking about the church this morning. And that's a very important qualifier. I think oftentimes, as we look at this, we understand that there are often things that are sensitive in nature for this, and we love to talk about them as if it's out there. But this is for us. This is the church. And when he says to us, you're to walk in love, but these things shouldn't be named among you. They're not fitting for you. He's talking about a difference in our lives and showing a stark contrast. And so as we deal with this this morning, we are dealing with those who call themselves Christians. Paul's going to give us three practices to avoid. And then some things we're not supposed to talk about. And then he's going to say that we're to make sure that our inheritance is set in heaven. Let's look at these three practices to avoid. He says it there in verse 3 and he mentions them kind of sequentially. Sexual immorality, any impurity or greed should not even be heard among you or maybe your translation says named among you. As he talks about sexual immorality, impurity, and greed, the first two are really tied together, and the third is separated off by a conjunction that gives it a little bit of a difference. So we could take these first two together when he says sexual immorality and sexual impurity. Those are tied together. And I think this is an important distinction. I've told you this already, but we're talking about the church. Sometimes the church has maybe positioned itself where people think about the church as being the church is against sex. The church preaches against sex all the time. And nothing could be further from the truth. In fact, if we do that, we're failing the Father because we're acting like that God hasn't given us this gift and saying that what God has given us is not good. that's, That's not the truth. God's not against sex. The church isn't against sex. This is different. Sexual immorality and impurity. When God created sex for us, God did so and it was good. And like every good thing that God creates it can be distorted for us, can it? I mean, it's any good thing that God creates. And if you think about it, you, you can take anything and Satan loves to come against those things. He gives a little bit of distortion and all of a sudden what you have is a place for you to fall into sin. That, that, that's how it is. You can't have a lie except based on the truth. You can't have sin except based on something that should have been good that has been distorted. And I'll just give you this, for instance, for a minute, if you have a surgery, you might go to the doctor and the doctor says, I'm going to prescribe these pain pills for you. They're important for you. You and you should use these and use this prescription as you get over this surgery. That's very different, isn't it? Something being used for good than something being abused for recreational use. But that's what Satan does. And so as Paul begins to talk about this, he's saying this is not what's good and this is not the way that God intended it to be. Well, how did God intend it to be? For us to understand that, we should go back to the beginning because God begins to talk about some foundational things about this in the book of Genesis, which is just the book of beginnings. You may have read this verse before, but I want to read it for us now. Genesis 1, and 27. Then God said, let us make man in our image. If we could just stop for a second right there, that's the first kind of veiled reference that we have to the Trinity, isn't it? Our image, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So let us make man in our image according to our our likeness. Now, that's important that we understand that. All human beings are image bearers of God. So it's important that we understand why that's different. That's different than an animal, isn't it? Because an animal, while created by God, is not an image bearer of God. Subtle difference, but important difference. He says, they will rule of the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image, he created him in the image of God, and he created them male and female. Those are important words for us today, male and female, the two things that God creates us as male and female. And I know that it might be popular in today's culture for us to believe that we can identify or assign something to us that that God didn't give us, but the scripture clearly says that God had a purpose for your life and that your gender isn't an accident. God lovingly made you your gender on purpose. And he did so because it reflects the beauty of who God is. It reflects something that God's image could be placed on males and God's image could be placed on females just as equally. And the scripture says something amazing. I want us to read this in Genesis two twenty four. It says, this is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife and they become one flesh. When God created us in relationship, he did so because there was not a suitable helper for the man that God had created. A suitable helper. And the word that God used there is interesting. It says there was not someone that corresponded to him. The word corresponded means to look at someone face to face. The Bible says that God created us male and female. He did so because as God surveyed all the animals that had been created, there was something different about man. They had, man had been created in God's image. He was different than all the other animals. And there wasn't an animal that was suitable for him. And so God created woman. And when God did that, he did it and designed us for a relationship that doesn't happen anywhere else. He did it so that we could be uniquely designed for marriage. And obviously sex was a part of that. You, you get the, the imagery of that when the scripture says that the two become one flesh. There's an intimacy that happens there and an imagery that happens there for us that shouldn't be overlooked. And when God did that, God did that because it was good. Sex isn't bad and the sexual relationship and the confines of one man, one woman for the rest of their lives being married together is exactly how God Intended that to be. But when Paul begins talking to us about being believers and saying sexual immorality should not be named among us, nor should sexual impurity or any other impurity is what he's saying there. He's talking about some specific things. The first word that he uses describes any sexual relationship outside of marriage between a man and a woman. That's important. Any sexual relationship. You say, well, what about, no, any. There it is. When God defines something as good, he often does so in very narrow terminology. And we could question, well, why did God, I don't know. It's what God did. Ultimately, if God wasn't God, then he wouldn't be able to make those decisions. But God, being who he is, is able to do those things. So any sexual relationship outside of marriage between a man and a woman is that first word, that sexual immorality. It's the word that we often get our word pornography from. In the Greek, he goes further to say a second word there, impurity. And we would say that this is any sexual act that isn't keeping with the purity of marriage. These believers were living with the temple of Diana, the goddess of fertility, all around them. I talked about that last week. And part of that happening was that people worshipped this goddess of fertility as they did many of the other gods and false, false gods throughout the Old Testament New Testament. They did that with things like cult prostitution. In other words, taking something that God had made that was good and distorting it. Because God intended it to be one way, any way that we do to distort that, is Sin. So, what happens to us as believers is that when we come to know Christ, He's saying to us, These things ought not be named among you. It shouldn't be part of the church. It shouldn't be that when people talk about Judson Baptist Church or any other church that is a confessing church here in our city, that these things should be named among the church. These should not be commonplace practices. These should not be things that the church accepts. These should not be things that believers approve of in their lives or in the lives of other people. Believers living as called out individuals should be living differently. And this, by the way, is something that we have to deal with, not just for for the young, but also for the old. This is an amazing thing. If you were to just do a, a quick study, you can Google this if you'd like, just look at the rates of sexually transmitted infections among senior adults and see what the statistics are saying. They're going through the roof. This isn't a young person's problem anymore. This is a problem for all of us. It's a problem for everyone. Because there's a temptation for all of us to say, well, well, it's okay if I do this. It's okay if I step outside of what God had for me. It's not. And he's saying it's not to be named among any of you in the church. I think oftentimes we ask some of the wrong questions. Particularly as we're dating, we ask questions like, well, Well, how far is too far? Maybe that's the wrong question. Maybe the question should be how can I be holy? How can I be set apart? How can I stay away from evil? How can, I, how can I not have these things named among me? How can I not get close enough is the wrong. You know, oftentimes I think we want to be just as close as we can to the edge. And someone described it like this for me one time. The the problem with that is, is you say, well, I'm not looking at pornography. I'm just looking at, at things that, that, they're not pornography. People don't have their clothes off in these. It's, it's not like that. But I mean, is what you're looking at holy? It's like somebody described to me a lot of times, We're driving the car 100 miles an hour as fast as we can to get close to the edge right here. And we want to hit the brakes. And oftentimes, we hit the brakes and we come right up to the line. It's like, whoo, thank goodness. But the problem is sometimes you're going a little too fast, you hit the brakes a little too late, and you skid right off the cliff. The answer doesn't need to be how close can we get to the line. It should be how holy can we be. How much can we be set apart? How, how, how much can we be pleasing to the Father rather, rather than pleasing to ourselves? Well, there's a third practice that we see here, and it's greed. Sexual immorality, impurity, and Greed that's funny because many of the commentators that you might read about this passage are are divided on what this means because the word is avarice you know it, it's just the idea of the same word and in fact this word is used just a few uh, a few verses up in chapter four and we, we looked at it like this can I read it for you from chapter four and verse 19 it says they became callous and gave themselves over to the promiscuity of the practice of every kind of impurity and a desire for more and more that that word desire is the exact same as greed right here and as you look at that if you'll Remember, chapter 4 was dealing with what it means to be lost. Saying this is the lost mentality. This is, these are people who are not in Christ. This is what it looks like. Chapter 5, he's made a, a, a distinction there. In chapter 4, we talked about how people who are lost, oftentimes, they're not satisfied with just being immoral. They want more and more and more and more. Chapter 5, it could be that that's exactly what he's talking about. But I think that it's different because if we look back at this he says sexual immorality and impurity or greed. And when he talks about greed, he says you shouldn't even be heard of among you. And in fact, in verse five, he's going to say that greed is idolatry. So it's different. I think that what he's talking about is actually exactly what we might think of it in terms of greed, which is the love of money. And, and, and he's talking about greed being idolatry here. And, and what we would say again is that, is money bad? No, not at all. But do you remember when we were talking about tithing just a few weeks ago? Talking about giving and talking about understanding God's concept of what we do with our money. You remember what we said? That greed is a problem because when we replace our dependence on God and ask money to fill those things in our lives, it becomes idolatry. So what starts to happen in our lives is we say, you know, if if I just had more money, I could do this. Or if I just had more money, I would be secure. Or if I just had more money, I would feel better about what's going on. And that totally loses sight of the fact that God is the one who supplies all of our needs through his riches and glories in Christ Jesus. So greed replaces God. We start trusting money for things that God alone can provide, our basic needs, our security And chasing it replaces God. And I want you to notice this. It says it's not to be heard of among you, named among you. He's saying that there's a difference now, and these things should not be descriptors of who we are. We're not to be this way anymore. We have been changed. Well, that may sound easy enough, right, for us to to understand that that we have to to do it God's way in terms of our relationships with one another. We need to wait until we're married before we engage in intimate activity. We need to do that with one man, one woman in our lives Uh, for the rest of our lives. That's God's design. We need to avoid greed. But he goes even further. He says there's some subjects to avoid. It's not just the practices, but some subjects to avoid, Look at verse 4. Obscene and foolish talking or crude joking are not suitable, but rather the giving of thanks. The obscene, the foolish, and the crude. You know, does this mean that God doesn't ever laugh or that God doesn't like jokes? I don't think so. It's that when we go to the debasest form of conversation, it's not suitable for who we are. The other day I heard a story about a man who went to the doctor for a follow-up visit and the doctor said, hey, I appreciate you coming back in. You know, we had those tests run on you yesterday and I, I've got some bad news and some worse news. He said, the bad news is, is, man, you only have 24 hours to live and there's nothing we can do about what's going on. You're going to need to go home and get your affairs in order. There's There's no way that we can treat what you have. It's so unusual. And the guy kind of distraught says, well, what's the worst news? And he said, I forgot to call you yesterday. You out of time. What's wrong with laughing? But why is it that so often when we want to make a joke, we have to go to the debasest form of humor? There's no cleverness in that. Any idiot can stand up and be dirty. That doesn't take any thought. Any person can be quick-witted and be dirty and, and always do those kinds of things. But what he's describing here is what your mother used to call a potty mouth or a filthy mouth. This is the lowest form of humor. And he says we have to be fine, uh, mindful of these things because they're not suitable. What he means is it doesn't fit. You know, it, it's, it's important, isn't it, to know where you're going. You know, I always struggle when people give you invitations to something and you feel like it might be formal, but you're not really sure. Right? I always, I always love it when on the invitation they tell you what it's going to be. You know, it's important, right? Because you don't want to be the guy that shows up to a backyard barbecue in a tuxedo. Feel like it doesn't fit, right? But you also don't want to be the person that shows up to a black tie affair wearing holy jeans. You know, it's, it's, that may work for the Academy of Country Music, you know, what they do or something when they wear uh, a tuxedo coat and and holes in their jeans. It doesn't work for us, you know, and you feel all out of place and everything. When he says it's not suitable, he says it doesn't fit you anymore. It's not who you are. It it shouldn't be what, what you're doing. And so when he says this, he's saying we have to be mindful of these things because those types of conversations, the obscene, the foolish, and the crude... They're not who you are anymore, and it's not in keeping with who you are and reflecting Christ. When we talk about things, it actually reveals so much about who we are. When you you listen to somebody talk, you very quickly learn things about them. You learn if, if if they're, if they're, you know, all about money, you learn if they're all about their job, you can learn if they're prideful, you can learn if they love their wife or their husband, you can learn so much about them. And we shouldn't be surprised by this because what Jesus says is that these things come out of the depths of our souls and it reveals who we are. Let me read for you Matthew chapter 12 and verse 34. I want you to see this. Brute of vipers, Jesus speaking to the Pharisees, how can you speak? Good things when you are evil for the mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart have you ever heard it said like this out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh have you heard it like that right so he says it speaks out of the overflow of the heart a good person produces good things from the storeroom of good and an evil person evil things from his storeroom of evil I tell you that on the day of judgment people will have to account for every careless word they speak for by your words you will be acquitted and by your words you will be condemned. What Jesus is saying, isn't it, is that who you are is buried down deep inside of you and it comes out. It comes out when you talk. And you may think that you have everybody fooled, but I promise that you don't because you can't help it. Who you are will find its way into conversations. Who you are will find its way around those those outings that you have at work. Who you are will find your way when your guard comes down and you start to talk about these things. And so when Paul's talking about this to the church, he says you shouldn't talk about things that aren't suitable for Christians to talk about. Don't let that stuff be named among you. Be different. I think oftentimes what we just consider funny, Jesus says, those careless words, every one of them you and I are going to give an account for. Is that sobering to you this morning like it is to me? Because I think about how many careless words I have said in my life. Words without Thinking. Words without consideration. Words where you were trying to be funny or say something to to lighten the mood and and be really quick-witted. And this is exactly what he's talking about. Obscene, foolish, and crude. We say words matter. Why do words matter so much? Think about the power of words. God used words to create the world. He spoke it. Into existence. He didn't use his hands. He didn't use materials that he had gathered from somewhere else and form it into this. God spoke the world out of nothing and it existed. Words matter. Words that we say matter. Luckily, Paul gives us a remedy for these things. He says the obscene and foolish talking, crude joking are not suitable but rather giving of thanks. It's funny when you think about it like this, but the remedy for these things in our lives is actually giving thanks to God and actually making our thanksgivings known to other people. Because if we do that, we won't be obscene, foolish, or crude. Think about it. It's not just that, but thanksgiving will also keep you from some of the other things that we've just mentioned. It will keep you from immorality and purity and greed. Okay, how? Well, if you're thankful for your spouse and you thank God daily for your spouse and throughout the day, you you thank God that he's given you a spouse, it keeps immorality and purity at the door and it keeps it outside. If you thank God, it allows you to defeat lust. Thank God for the gift of his Gift to us of of intimacy and and, and what that means is even if i 'm not married yet, I can thank God for that I can thank god that 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 he has a plan for my life and I can thank God that he has a gift that's waiting out there and that in all all things God is good and that and god's timing is perfect and and his His will for my life is going to be good and that every good and perfect gift comes from God and that the wisdom that God gives is pure and so if God says that this is right, it must be right. I can thank God for that. When you offer thanks to God, it removes crude things from your lips. God, thank you for these great blessings you've given in my life. It keeps greed from you. God, I want to thank you today that You have provided for all of my needs. I want to thank you today, God, that you've given me the ability to work. I want to thank you today, God, that you've brought every good thing that I'm going to need today to my life. I want to thank you, God, that you're opening doors of opportunity for me. I want to thank you, God, that you're allowing me to bless other people today. I want to thank you, God, for these things. If, If you'll let praise be on your lips, thanksgiving be on your lips, it just keeps these things at the door. And so these three things, the subjects we're to avoid, the three practices we're to be avoiding, they come with a caution because he says we're to know our inheritance and to be sure of it. Look at verse five. For know and recognize this Every, sexual, every sexually immoral or impure or greedy person who is an idolater does not have an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Pastor, are you saying that anyone who's ever done any of these things has no inheritance in the kingdom of God? Certainly not. Because none of us could apply then, could we? It's not based on that. What does it mean then? How could it be that? We're in a room full of, of people who have these things in their past, but that's why Christ died for us, to set us free from those things so we wouldn't be in bondage to, to, to slavery and sin in this way where we just had to keep doing that. Christ died for us so that we could be set free from that, reconciled to the Father, and now we're free to be who God intended us to be. And those things may be part of our past, but they do not have to be part of our present and our future because we have been set free from sin. I want you to remember that Paul is addressing people in the church. He's not addressing the lost. He's addressing people in the church. And what he's saying is our inheritance is based on being saved. As safe people, we no longer practice these things. doesn't mean that a believer might not slip up and tell a crude joke or make an obscene gesture or or make some kind of foolish talk or or even find themselves in sexual immorality. Of course, it doesn't mean that that might not happen. It's saying that we're not going to practice these things. These things are not suitable for us. So we don't take them out of the closet, put them on and wear them as if they're the most comfortable clothes that we have. We don't do that anymore because God has always wanted a people to be set apart and different for himself. That's exactly what he wanted in the Old Testament. And we, the church are now the set apart, called out of darkness into light, called out of society to be a city set on a hill for the world to see and these things should not be practiced God says be holy as I am holy and so the church is to be pure and we're to be distinctive in the way that we live I got to tell you that I think one of the most difficult things about being a pastor is watching people claim the name of Christ and then do damage not only to the name of Christ but themselves by practicing these things. Practicing. There's nothing wrong with that. I do what I want to. I know God loves me. Why did Christ die then? So that we could continue in our pattern of living? So that Nothing would be affected, nothing would be changed. Certainly not. Christ died to set us free from the law of sin and death. And so for us as a people to be distinctive is something that we must recapture and recover. We Baptists have been accused of easy believism. All you have to do is believe that Jesus is the Son of God and you'll be saved. Well, that's partly true. You do have to believe that Jesus is the Son of God to be saved. But what about the repenting of sin? Do we just gloss over that and, and move past that? Jesus is a friend of sinners, not so that they can stay in their sin but so they may be redeemed out of that sin and reconciled to the Father in relationship. And we must recover what it means to be a holy people so that when we walk into the room, the conversation changes. Not so that our coworkers are waiting to tell us the greatest dirty joke that they've been able to to hear over the weekend and and they're ready to to try it out on us because we always get a good laugh and we we swap those kind of things and we go back and forth with them and laugh about those. That's not what it's to be at all. Our relationships are to be different. Our sexual ethics should be God's. If we don't recover that and recapture that, I'm afraid that what we have done is lost our testimony to the world. Would you just consider this for a second? Why would we tell people that they really need a relationship with Jesus and that they need to come and be here on a Sunday morning if all they see in our lives is exactly what they see in their lives we just go to church that's not compelling is it do you need one more thing to do this week I don't I don't need one more thing to do you don't need one more thing just to add to the list that's drudgery That's misery. The reason that we're compelling people to come to the Lord is because we know that eternity hangs in the balance and we know that our inheritance is secure in Christ because he has called us out of darkness and we are now the light of the world. Instead of looking as much like the world as we can so we fit in, we're to be different. We must recover that. power of God in our lives should be demonstrated by our ability to fight and battle and overcome sin with the power of the Holy Spirit. And as we gain those victories, that allows people to see what a great God we serve because they know certainly that they are just like us and that we could never do it on our own. So today we must decide to live in a way that honors the Lord and And what that means is that if we're single, we live in holy purity before the Lord, staying away from all things that would not be pure for us. It means that if we're dating, we do it God's way. We wait till we're married to engage in any form of intimacy with our our future spouse or someone we're dating. We, We wait. It means that if we're married, we live holy before the Lord in holy matrimony, set apart. With the spouse that God has given us, the two being one flesh corresponding to one another in such a way that's beautiful for all the world to see. Let me tell you something. I never thought that this would be the great witnessing tool of the future generations, but I'm going to tell you, I believe that it will be. A man and a woman who live on fire for the Lord, who have great love for one another, who are married, are going to stand out in this world. It's going to be the great witnessing tool of your lives as people who are broken, Come and look and say, what what must we do? Why why are you so happy? How did you guys make it work? What is that? Why are y'all so different? It should be distinctive. If we are single again, rather uh, whether it be through divorce that we haven't chosen or whether it be through death of a spouse, we must maintain purity still. This doesn't stop with a message for our teenagers and start with a message for anyone else. It's for all of us. We need this. And so I'm asking you today, be sure of your inheritance. Are you practicing these things? I mean, is this who you are? Because the scripture says that those who practice these things have no inheritance in the kingdom. You say, well, pastor, I thought you said this was about the church this morning. It is. But maybe today is the day that God is calling you to be saved. And maybe today is the day that, that God would, would have you receive salvation. You say, well, how would I do that? The Bible's so clear about this. It says that every one of us has sinned. Nobody's exempt from that statement. Every one of us, you're in a room full of people who have sinned. We freely admit it. In fact, the scripture says if we say we have not sinned, we don't know the Father. But because of that, we've been condemned. Condemned to what? Death. You're going to die, but that's not the only death you're meant to fear. There's a judgment that's coming where those who are not in Christ will be separated from God the Father in eternity in a real place called hell. You say, You believe in hell, Jesus believed in it, so I'll believe in it. The wages of sin is death, but here's the good news. The gift of God is everlasting life. You can't earn it, you'll never be good enough. And somebody right now is saying, man, he's talking about me. I need to stop practicing these things. You won't be able to until you meet Jesus. It's not about what you can do. It's about what he has done. He died on the cross in our place. And the Bible says that if we confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord. That's an important word. Lord means we do what he says. He rules, he reigns, not just in the world, but in our lives. And believe God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So the invitation this morning is twofold. One, to believers. Are any of these things that we mentioned being found in your life? It's not suitable. Shouldn't be named among you. We need to Sponge that, get rid of it, get it off the record by confessing that to the Lord and asking God to forgive us of our sins again and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Secondly, if you've never been saved, let today be the day of salvation. Come and repent of your sins, change directions, walk towards Jesus and what He has for your life, place your faith in Him as the only hope that you have. You'll never find Him lacking. Let's pray. Father, as we've looked at the word today, we realize how easy it would be for us to fall back in these things and for these things to be named in the church. Father, our prayer is to be holy and distinctive today. We don't want these things to be named among us at all. So Lord, we're gonna ask you right now as a church, would you do the work of cleansing us? Cleanse us from the secret sins, Lord. Bring those to mind and let us call on your name for grace that is greater than all of our sins. Forgiveness, Lord, that washes us white as snow. I pray, Father, for the young in the room and the old in the room, that it doesn't matter where we're at, that we would be holy and blameless before you today because of the work of Christ in our lives. And Father, we cry out to you today for those who may be far from you, who do not know you. And we ask God that you would do a work in their lives to draw them to you. Save them, Lord, and cleanse them. We ask these things in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.